0: The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Podcast. I'm Max George.
1: And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. <laughs>
0: oh, that's cool. <laughs>
1: that gave me goosebumps. Ooh, th- this, is a, this is not the ASMR uh, episode that, that you were all thinking just from that, if, if anyone's wondering. Although,
0: I feel like that might be like some new uncharted territory that we could get into talking about horror movies. But we speak in ASMR. I think it would be really good.
1: Depend to click or something like that. I could read from the Necronomicon. <laughs> oh man, That's... maybe maybe like as some sort of perk if we ever you know double down on. Um,
0: we are very very excited though for this episode, guys. It's completely different than what we've done in the past. Um, Nathaniel and I have been talking about this for quite a while, and it's really different. We, you know, we usually stick to horror movies. Horror books, novels, literature, occult stuff. Today, we're going to go through a different path and talk about horror-inspired board games, um, which both Nathaniel and I love very, very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both kind of board game, card game nerds in general, but like especially when there's horror stuff involved, oh, you know we are all over that. Absolutely. However,
0: first, I think we need to apologize. I know our episodes have been kind of sporadic through the month of kind of end of March and through April. We've had some family vacations. We've both gotten vaccinated. Mental health has been up and down. We both turned 31. April's just kind of a big month for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, I've been trying to you know, make sure that we get at least some content out. And, you know, our last episode was a lot of fun, even though it unfortunately... Did not have Max because, you know, the, the vaccination kind of was kicking his butt. But, hey, that, that is true of a lot of people. Uh, but but we, we promise that we are getting back on schedule. Try to have, have you know, our regular, at least every other week, uh, episodes dropping going forward. All right.
0: So, introducing this new episode, we really kind of want to make the most of your guys' time as listeners. And so what we're going to do is actually going to play a game as we talk about these games. I'm going to be rolling a classic D&D D6, and then based on the number that we get, we're, we're going to talk about a board game that either Nathaniel really, really, really loves or I really, really love that is kind of based in the horror genre itself. Um, what we're going to do is kind of give you a big, brief overview of everything, do a very generic, you know, how to play the game. We're not going to bore everyone with the minutia. Some of these games are very advanced and in-depth. Um, we'll talk about some of the pros, some of the cons of the game, and then an overall rating. Nathaniel, I couldn't think of anything jazzy or snazzy, like screams or crowns for these board games. How about um, you?
1: We, we, we could do bones for, for this, because it's <gasps> like, like when you throw bones. I love that idea. That's what we're doing. It's been set in
0: stone. It is thus decreed.
1: Um, It will be on uh, just yeah that that one to ten scale that we usually use.
0: All right. Um, Is there any other bandwidth or overview you wanted to provide, Nathaniel, before we just kind of start the dice?
1: Um. No, I'm ready for the game. All right. Here we go.
0: The first game up is probably the most excited I am of all of these games, Nyctophobia. Okay. Take it away, Nathaniel. Tell me all about this game.
1: Okay, so Nyctophobia is a very unique board game experience, and it is actually, honestly, probably the, the one on this list that will actually possibly result in some genuine uh, moments of, of fear. What this game is, is this uh, is a game that... Most of the players play blindfolded, while uh, one person runs the game. So the board is set up uh, so it is tactile. And is Every- everyone blindfolded the entire game? Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, so if if you weren't aware, Nyctophobia is the fear of the dark, and this game plays off of that idea. In fact, I, I believe from if, if the uh, internet, you know, random trivia is true. Uh, this game was originally designed as a board game that someone could play, like with like a blind sibling or something like that. But yeah, so so the idea. Uh, so there are two versions uh, that I've seen of Nectophobia. So one of them is a vampire version, uh, which is the one that I have, and then there's one that is just like a maniac in the woods version. But both of them essentially play the same way. So the the blindfolded person will have the person who's running the game who would be playing as the maniac or uh as the vampire um they will put their hand on their piece and then just yeah feeling around they can feel where their piece can move or feel if there are like trees or different obstacles in the way and they have to kind of navigate um you know very uh deliberately and you know they can make certain actions they can do things like uh you know obviously move or you know, like throw a rock if they have found one or things like that. But yeah, what they're trying to do is, you know, all of the blindfolded people are trying to locate, uh, a lot, a friend that has been lost in the woods while avoiding the maniac or the vampire. Um, and then the the person who's running the game is the person who then, you know, it has like a a whole deck that kind of tells them what they can do with their vampire or maniac. And then, you know, kind of, you know, make sure that the the game runs. And so, basically, if they're if the friends are able to get their lost friend and get back to their car safely, they win. But if they are killed, obviously they lose. So it's it's uh, very fun, very different, very unique. It's it, I've never played a game like it, and it's really a blast. How many people is like the max amount of people you can play with? If if memory is serving correctly, I believe it is four
0: players. Um, And would you recommend four players? Would you recommend less? A lot of times these board games, uh, you know, you have to play them a few times to really understand where, like, the niche is.
1: Um, Every time I've played it, I've played it with four people, and it seems to work out really well. It's just, you know, like, it's it's a square board. It's, you know, just easy to have four people sitting around it. You know, that way just things tend to work out pretty well. I I would say, yeah, four is, is probably the ideal, you know, it, which is great for like something like a double date or something like that. It makes it really easy. Um, it's just a lot of fun. I, I love that game.
0: And outside kind of the rudimentary rules that you just kind of explained, is it pretty intense for novice
1: gamers to pick up? The difficulty really is more based around running the game. So if you are the person playing as the monster or the serial killer, yeah, it might be a little bit trickier. You at least want at least a, a fairly... Decent base understanding of, of more complicated board games, but uh, if you are one of the blindfolded people, it's extremely easy to figure out. It, you'll, you'll pick it up in in two minutes. Um, it, it's really very easy to just pick up and go. So give us
0: some pros and some cons. Of course, you've already talked about a few of those pros. Um, maybe dive a little bit more detailed.
1: I mean, I would just say yeah. The, the pros are it's just yeah, such a unique experience. It's a lot of fun there is some kind of genuine chills and thrills along the way, because, yeah, sometimes you'll be like, you, you really think that you're moving in a, in a safe direction, that you've navigated stuff, that you figured out this area, uh, and then suddenly, you, you know, you, you turn a corner, and you're like, oh, and, and then the person's like, oh, and that's the vampire, and you're like, no. And, and you know, you gently jump. You're like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> um, And, you know, then you have to deal with, with that. And so it's, it's fun. It has a lot of kind of twists and turns. Um, I would say, if it has really any cons, it's mostly just that, like, when you aren't the person who's actively playing, um, it can maybe be a little bit boring if the person who is playing is taking a long time. And, and like, it makes sense to take a while on each turn to figure out what's in the area and think stuff through critically. But otherwise, you're just sitting there blindfolded, just kind of waiting until, some, you know, it's your turn. And, and you know, obviously you want to be paying attention and, and listening and trying to, you know, figure out where people are, but it can get boring if the game isn't moving along at a decent pace
0: yeah it kind of sounds like one of those games that it gets better the more times you play it with the same group of people Mm -hmm. Um, just because they can all get into it and they're all participating they know the rules and that's when it really starts to shine pun intended because it is a game about darkness yes I think it also would be really fun... You know me, Nathaniel, but I love to take things always to the next level, make it extra. You were there on like my first campaign session for D&D. I had handouts and visuals and <laughs> a soundtrack and the whole shebang. Um, I-, I feel like this game would benefit from that a lot. Like You could put on a very creepy soundtrack, maybe get some candles, turn off all the lights... You know, not only are you blindfolded, but you take your senses and you kind of have that sensory play added to
1: it. Yeah, for sure. This definitely lends itself very nicely to that kind of thing. It it, it really can be a very immersive, very interesting horror experience, for sure. All right, so how many bones would you give it? I'm going to give it eight bones. Really, the only thing that I would say that, you know, keeps it from, from being even higher... It would just mostly be that, like, playing as the person who's running the board it's is less fun than playing uh, on the other side of it. And, unfortunately, because it's my game and, uh, you know, I, I I basically always end up running the game instead of having the blindfolded experience. But, you know, it's still a blast uh, you, no matter how you're playing it. So, so it, it is a little uh, uneven in terms of enjoyment level, but other than that, it's a great time. Love that game. Highly recommend. Alright,
0: shall we roll the mighty D6 once more? Indeed. Next game up is the game that's probably most similar to Nictophobia, Mysterium. Um, and I am going to be talking about the Mysterium game. I think a lot of people who are heavy board gamers know about this one. Um, it's pretty ubiquitous whenever you go to any sort of game store out there the overarching kind of theme of this game is it's all about fortune telling Um, it kind of takes the idea of clue and beefs it up to a really almost overwhelming level and it's also similar to nyctophobia in that you have one person who is the quote-unquote ghost of the game this person who has been killed and is trying to communicate with the other players um, and teach them and give them signs of who killed them. You have a set of, you know, suspect cards and weapon cards and room cards. Again, all very similar to, you know, your standard it type of a board game. There, I believe, are about four or five rounds to the game, and every round, the ghost, the person who's been killed within the game, has this very large stack of very beautiful art cards They'll have anything from creepy dancing animals on like a tight line or they'll have the spooky Gothic forest. And what their responsibility is, is to try and find the card that matches kind of the information to tell the other players on who killed them. So it's a very, very interpretive type of a game. It's best played, I think, with friends, because you all kind of share that common language and that common humor and whatnot. And so the ghost is able to kind of lead them on a little bit better. But like you were saying, nictophobia, this game is best suited for probably five-ish people, four maybe at the max. And again, one of those individuals has to be the ghost.
1: In in my experience, I I think this one has the sweet spot of the ghost plus at least three others, if not four. Three or four others plus the ghost is, is perfect. Yeah,
0: and again, it's a very, very fun game, but it's one of those very nuanced games. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of cards. It can be very overwhelming for kind of new board gamers. I took it up camping once with my family, and my family loves games, but I quickly found out they don't love this type of game, where there's constantly new rules being brought up, you're always trying to think, you know, esoterically, and what does this card mean, and does this ghost, you know, what in the last few conversations that we've had would make me think that this is this. Um, It's very kind of ambiguous. And that can be fun, but it can also be really upsetting and frustrating to some type of players. Um, And I guess those are a few of the cons. I think the biggest con for me is I had to watch a 45-minute video about Mysterium and how to play it before I even played it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but again, this is a board game for a little bit more of an advanced set of friends or board games gamers don't take it very lightly don't think you can just bust this out and play it in 30 minutes um because these turns do take some time there's a lot of setup uh there's even an app that you can use that kind of sets the ambiance. it gives you some music and some spoken dialogue uh that kind of stuff did you have the similar experience with this one
1: nathaniel Funny enough, I actually just barely played this with the horror club at my school, which of course I run because, you know, I'm me. So the, the kids actually didn't have that hard of a time picking it up. Um, I will say that it, it does take a while to learn the setup. And so being the ghost it, it is a lot to it, or at least like a medium amount to it. It, it takes a certain level of preparation. Thankfully, I found a really good video online that was like six minutes long. That like, oh damn, taught me how to set it up and taught them how to play it very easily, uh, very easily. So it really wasn't that bad uh, at all for me. Thankfully, um, and and they figured out how to play it and and had a good time with it pretty fast. So I I think it's one of those you do need to have the right people. They need to have the right attitude. But if you have the right uh, you know way of introducing the game it's it's a lot of fun and it can be very quick to pick up at least for the players. The ghost stuff, yeah there's it's a little bit more intensive. I think this game also suffers from an us versus
0: them type of a feel to it. Um, and really, I want to point out that board games in general I, I had this this discussion with my boyfriend the other day. everyone kind of grew up playing board games in a very different way and you know some people play very cutthroat and they want to win and they'll do everything to win others play more of an equitable way where they want everyone to have fun and they don't really care about who wins as long as they're having fun and the reason i bring this up is because mysterium i think can really turn into a, a an us versus them you as the survivors are trying to figure out who killed this ghost. And if you don't think the ghost is giving you the best clues or helping you in the best way, it can really start to create some tension. Um, And maybe that's just my experience of
1: this game. Yeah, I think maybe your family was just the wrong choice for me to play this (laughs) with.
0: It's quite possible. I mean, we we played it one one night and it was a better experience. Um, But I always leave a little frustrated from mysterium because i i think i don't quite fully comprehend what they're
1: really trying to get at it, it just seems a little ambiguous to me at the end of the day yeah well i mean and, and it's definitely a game that's built to be ambiguous because you know i mean so it's supposed to be a seance board game right like right. it's supposed to be mediums interpreting weird visions to figure out who killed this person how they were killed and where they were killed and and I love that idea, but you know these these cards. Um, I would say if uh, maybe a, a more popular game that that people may be more familiar with would be Dixit, where like it it's just like weird abstract art, and so it's like sometimes it relates and sometimes it doesn't, and so it's it's difficult to communicate as the ghost because sometimes you you have some cards and you're like I don't know, like the the, the colors match up kind of to the the location card and. Once i have and other times you play it because there's a picture of a a boat and there's a boat in this one or whatever like it, it could be any one of a dozen reasons of why you choose a card and then you just have to hope for the best and and yeah like it can be a lot of fun but it can also be yeah you're right very frustrating you know even if you are playing with the right people you know because like inherently it's a game where you're trying to to communicate silently Yes. Through these weird nonverbal means, and it and it's so subjective that you know if, if they're not getting it, you know, within a couple of rounds, yeah, it, it can quickly go from a fun. Gaming experience to a, a more negative one. It's like, oh, I didn't like that game, right? And I think it's the type of game that if you have a negative
0: experience with it, it's really hard to pick up again. Yeah. Um, just because it, you know, it can be very overwhelming, very ethereal, ambiguous, and so if you have a poor experience, why would you want to play it again, right? Yeah. So overall, I think I'm going to give it five bones. It's a like it's a very original game, and I bought it for a reason. When I saw it in the game store, I was just like, "Oh my god, I need this game!" <laughs> um, the artwork is stunning. The pieces are beautiful. It's just kind of a lot. Um, yeah, and you got to be prepared before you go into the game. And a lot of people don't want to, you know, watch a YouTube video before sitting down to play board game with friends.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I agree with the five. I think I'd give it a five as well. It's one that I I enjoy it when I do play it, but I do not bust it out frequently.
0: All right, shall we move along? Yes. (gasps) The dice say six. The dice are being very friendly and allowing us to go one after another.
1: (laughs) I know, right? Okay, so number six is another one from me. It is Horrified. Uh, which is the universal uh, monster movie, not video game, sorry, board game. Uh, Basically, the idea of this game is you are all playing as um, these like investigators, or I don't know what you call it, just people who are trying to save this village from these universal monsters. And so the board is a bunch of different locations that you know you would typically associate with a lot of those monsters. So there's like a castle and then there's like a, a laboratory and there's uh the black lagoon and there's I don't know a barn and there's I don't know it, some of them are just kind of normal locations that you would have in a small uh vaguely eastern european town um and and some of them are specific to the different uh monsters. So basically what you do is you're going to uh you choose your difficulty level by selecting the number of monsters that you're going to go up against. So an easy game is 2, uh you know, medium difficulty is 3, hard is 4 and so on. And so they have, you know, Dracula, they have the wolfman, they have the creature from Black Lagoon, they have Frankenstein and his bride. And yes, I know that it's Frankenstein's monster. I just Wanted, but for the sake of the the game itself, it actually like hangs a lantern on it and just say like it's Frankenstein. Yes, we know that it's actually technically Frankenstein's monster, but everyone in the town calls him Frankenstein for some reason. So we're just going to go with it. So they they don't go Frankenstein's monster's bride. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's ridiculous. But I never thought of that before. Um, I think there's an the invisible man as well. I don't. Know. There, there's a, there's quite a few of them, and so. Yeah, what you do is you have, like, certain uh, actions that you can take. Uh, And so, like, you'll take uh, your set of actions, you know, you'll move around, you might go and try to save villagers or um, go and collect items or things like that, and then the monsters will have a turn. And so usually their turns uh, will result in them, like, moving closer and attacking people. Uh, Usually they just attack whoever's near them, whether it's a villager or one of the, the players. Uh, so typically if a player gets attacked, they just get knocked back to the hospital and then they have to like move from there. Um, if a villager gets attacked, they're dead. Basically, you're trying to do specific tasks that will defeat these monsters. So like for example, there are a bunch of locations around the board where Dracula has tombs, and so you have to go and break all of his tombs. And so you have to like, get like weapons that are strong enough to break them, and then you can break them. And then you can fight him. And and so you have to do that before the, like, t- I don't remember what they call it. Something like the terror level uh, reaches a certain point. Because, and, and the terror level goes up basically whenever the monsters successfully, like, kill a villager or defeat one of the heroes or whatever. And so, yeah, it's it's a pretty tricky board game. So I've only played it once. Uh, when I played it, it was the Gilman, uh Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Dracula. Uh, which is like the apparently the easiest batch to to go up against and even though it was pretty experienced people who were playing we still kind of had a a difficult time like it was it was a fairly challenging game um but it was a lot of fun i i liked it a lot it like it's not like the most amazing uh board game of its ilk but it's a good time and i i liked it and i really like the theme and i love the art it's 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 a good time Talk to me about a few of the cons. It sounds like a who, and I need to play this game, so what's wrong with it? Really, the only thing is that I would say the cons aren't cool, or it's mostly just that the the gameplay feels kind of samey throughout the whole game. Um, like, it doesn't present any, or that many new challenges or, or you know, new twists or turns throughout the, the experience of playing it. It's just one of those things where I mean, and it might have just been the monsters I was playing against too. It it could maybe be more challenging depending on, or or more compelling uh, depending on who you're playing against. But for the most part, I would just say like the ideas were really fun and strong, but the the way that the game works is a little samey throughout. Mm. And so like, you know, they could have punched it up a little bit, but as a whole, it works really well. It's a pretty tight game. I. I had a fun time, and and it wasn't that hard to pick up. It, it was a little tricky, but you know, that, then again, I I benefited from a ten minute video online that taught me how to play it, and I was able to kind of pick it up from there. So, yeah, it's not nearly as as uh, complicated or convoluted as as uh, a lot of other games could be. Fair enough.
0: So, as far as bones go, what would you rate it?
1: I'm gonna. To- Give it a seven on bones. Why a seven? I'm gonna say it's it's a fun game. It's not nearly as compelling as something like Nectophobia, but I would say like it has a lot of replay value because you know you can always play against different things or you know up the difficulty level, uh, and so yeah, like it's it's definitely going to be one that I revisit uh, quite a few times. So you know it's it's a fun game. Um, it has a, a lot to it that really works very well. It sounds like a very solid, like just fun game. Yep. Now,
0: you and I had talked about, this is a tangent, but Luigi's Mansion 3. Inherently, it's not like this amazing game that blows everyone away on the Switch. Yes. But it, you just have so much fun playing it that you don't
1: care. Yeah, yeah. I would say Horrified is, is of a similar vein in that, yeah, it's, it's not like it reinvents the wheel, but it doesn't need to. It uses a lot of tried-and-true game mechanics that work. And, you know, and so it doesn't necessarily feel like it's the most unique gaming experience, but it, 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 took, it takes what works. It makes a very solid, very fun game out of it. So, yeah, it, it's a good time.
0: All right, shall I roll the dice one more? Indeed. I mean, I'm rolling a die, but I'm just going to call it dice.
1: Ooh, number one. Wow, this is really going nicely back and forth.
0: It really is. I need to keep this D6 on me for my next D&D game. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so number one. This is kind of a a tangent to some regard. Um, We wanted a nice, healthy six board games that we could talk about, and I know there's a ton of different games out there, especially horror-themed games. I'm not as well-versed with them as probably you are, Nathaniel. Um, But this one is villainous, and this game is everywhere, especially out here in Utah. I think our demographic kind of makes people get really excited about this game just because it is very Disney-focused. I've seen this game around, and I was really excited to play it, and my boyfriend loves this game. And so he introduced it to me, and it is all based around these villains from the Disney franchise. And I'm just going to list off all of the different villains because they've really, they have four expansions. This game is pretty successful. So you can play Captain Hook, Jafar, Maleficent, Prince John, Queen of Hearts, Ursula, Dr. Facilier, the Evil Queen from Snow White, Hades, Radigan from Great House yeah! Detective, Scar, Yzma, Cruella de Mother Gothel, Pete, Gaston, the Horned King from Black Cauldron, and Lady Tremaine from Cinderella. And this game is so fun um, because each of these villains, kind of how the game is played, every villain kinda has their own thing that they're trying to accomplish. If you're playing Hades, you're trying to get these Greek Titans to take over Olympus, or if you're Ratigan, you're trying to create some rat bride. I can't remember the terminology
1: there. Uh, it is a robot version of the rat queen or of the mouse queen, and or uh, defeating Basil, depending on if uh, Basil successfully defeats the queen. Sounds like you haven't watched that movie recently
0: enough. <laughs> it's been a long time. For everyone's information, Nathaniel's favorite Disney movie is *The Great Mouse Detective*. If you can't tell,
1: uh, yeah, I just read the the uh, original book recently. By the way, it's real good. And so, the overarching kind of theme of the game, again, like I said,
0: everyone's trying to do their own thing, but at the same time, you have the ability to to quote unquote curse or harm other players with heroes from that Disney world. Um, So Maleficent, if I'm going to try and impair her from achieving her goal in affecting each of her areas with a curse, I can summon the three good fairies or Aurora or Prince Philip, you know, these heroes in the Disney world to try and impede her and stop her. And it's just, it's one of those games that is pretty casual at its heart. Each villain is very specific and detailed in what they need to get done. But once you take a few rounds and really kinda start to understand the mechanics, the game starts to work out pretty flawlessly, which is why I think it is so successful. And it's also fun. A lot of the images on these cards don't come from the movies. They've actually hired authors or artists, excuse me, to redraw some of these scenes. So you're engaged with the cards and you're thinking of, you know, what am I gonna do three steps forward? And how can I make sure, you know, players X, Y, and Z are not going to win? All kind of at the same time and in this world of Disney. And my favorite video game franchise of all time is Kingdom Hearts, which celebrates kind of the, the merging of the RPG elements and Disney. So having a board game that does the same thing and then taking it to the spookier route and combining the villains, I just stupid love this game. It's it's just fun. Um and it's very casual. It, rounds can take a little bit long. Um but at the end of the day it's just just a fun game. Nathaniel we, we went on a double date and we played this. What were your impressions?
1: Um I really liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. It was um there is a a, a relatively steep learning curve, I'll say. Like it it wasn't one that I picked up as quickly as I expected to. Uh, especially considering you know it's a Disney game, um, there is a you know certain level of you know kind of nuance to how it's played and and you know what you have to do. But thankfully, you know I was playing with some people who were more experienced, and so then you know I could kept, keep uh, keep asking you guys, oh, wait, so what am I doing with this thing? What does this mean? <laughs> but you know, but once I picked it up, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think we ended up all kind of being relatively close to the end. Well, maybe not you, because. Yeah, not me. I
0: played Cruella de and
1: it was terrible. Yeah, well so so I guess on the flip side, you know, that, that then brings up the con of unfortunately I would say it's not balanced. Each each villain is not a balance, you know, in terms of difficulty. And there's a lot of luck involved and so yeah, like sometimes you could have a great game and other times you could have a really awful game, just depending on how you draw from the decks, and, and it seems like it's that that could be an issue and also just yeah like you might just be stuck with a really complicated convoluted villain that is really cool but is a giant nightmare or headache to try to figure out how you're going to achieve your goals while someone else is playing i don't know someone who's like okay well i just need to uh get rid of these tokens and then i'm good and you're like okay well you you started out with that that that, that wasn't that hard
0: yeah i i think it falls into kind of the whole of that luck Aspect of things, not only with the cards that you're drawing, um, because as a villain, every turn you get to have a certain amount of cards in your hand that'll help you in some way. And if you're just drawing crap cards, like I did when you and I played Nathaniel,
1: mm-hmm. really uh,
0: you start to get blocked up into a corner and you can't do anything. Um, and unfortunately, there are so many villains, and if you have all of the expansions, you know, you, you find someone you like. And you want to play them, and you might not understand that they're a little bit more difficult or nuanced or this or that. Um, and so it can, it can be a challenge. But if you have someone who is an experienced player, like my boyfriend, um, he is fantastic at explaining things and helping everyone make sure that they're playing on the equal and same level while still enjoying kind of the competitiveness of the game. hmm. But if you don't have that element, the game can be pretty frustrating because you just get overwhelmed again and don't really know what to do, and it's not as fun as it wants to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one where you need the, to have the right people or have uh, be patient while you're figuring it out for a few rounds. Um, but but yeah, I I liked it uh, a lot. I I definitely like. I've, I've been curious about it for a long time, and and I thought it was even better than i expected it to be so overall i think i'm gonna give it eight bones it's not perfect
0: it's got you know a lot of nuance to it and you do need someone i think who's experienced in the game to kind of tutor everyone else if there are new players um but it can get cutthroat it can get intense and it's in the world of disney and who doesn't love disney sociopaths that's who doesn't love disney
1: I mean, you know, obviously you're taking the lead on that one, so your, your score has a more weight. I, I personally would give it more of a 7, but uh, I need to play it more times to really judge.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the difference is I, I've played it several times, um, especially with different groups, and it's all been very enjoyable experiences. Shall we continue? Yeah, let's see. The dice rolled a two. (laughs) Oh my god! Uh, I wish the dice would roll this well when I actually play D and D. Good lord.
1: Okay, so Eldritch Horror. Eldritch Horror is, I would say, by far the most complicated game of the ones uh, on our list. But the at at its core, what this game is is uh, you. Or sorry, let me just start over. This is a cooperative board game in which you and the other players are playing as investigators trying to keep a Lovecraftian monstrosity uh, anywhere from Azathoth to Cthulhu or anything in between, um, depending on which uh, difficulty level you want to play at. Uh, Basically, you're trying to stop them from uh, waking up and consuming the world. So what you do is uh, the, the map itself is a map of the entire world, and you travel around and you have to like you know, try to do things like solve mysteries, get items, defeat monsters. Uh, you know, and, and there are mechanics to do all of that involving cards and dice and all sorts of stuff. And and if you can basically do uh, certain requirements, and, and those requirements, you know, depend on which uh, Lovecraftian god you're up against, then you can defeat them. Uh, but if the terror track goes up to a certain level, and and that terror track is, is, you know, increased by your failure to defeat certain monsters, or some of it is random, some of it is, you know, uh, yeah, failures of, of, of the players to do things. You know, so it, it goes up and up and up, but yeah, if it reaches a certain level, then you all lose, and the Lovecraftian god wakes up and uh, destroys the world. So there's a lot to it. Um, it's a very complicated game, and it's not for a beginner at all, which is definitely you know, some of the cons here. Um, it's, it's even, even a lot of more experienced board game players maybe are going to be more reticent to play this game. Uh, like My wife will not play this game with me, because <laughs> it, it takes a long time to play it, and it's complicated. It, I would say, on average, uh, the game probably takes between four and six hours to play a, a whole game. And I know that that's not for everybody. But that said, uh, as far as lengthier board games that are complicated, it is extremely rewarding, extremely well uh, made, very fun, um, and really is uh, some of the best uh, times I've uh, had playing board games ever. Uh, Though, uh, admittedly, it's been way too few of times that I've been able to play it because people won't play with me because it takes four to six hours (laughs) to play
0: I think I played this game with you once, but we only, like, brief, like touched the surface. I think we should give this another go. You am you know down. You know my boyfriend. I think he's going to be all into this, so we should definitely try
1: it again. Oh, yes. I, I am 100% down to play this game at any time, <laughs> even though other people may not be.
0: Um, so, of course, the con is the super long length. Anything else? What... Why? Just, why does Nathaniel love this game too? I want to know because what you just said there kind of like took me a little bit by surprise that you're just down to play it at
1: any time. The, I mean, so so, so the cons are, are yeah that it's it's long and it's complicated. But what I really really like is that it is genuinely very challenging. There's a lot of interesting components to be thinking about as you're playing it. Um, you know you're. You have, like, unique attributes for your character. Uh, You get to, you know, do a a wide variety of different types of tasks over the course of the game. You know, everything from combat to, you know, solving mysteries to, you know, collecting items to whatever. And and you do it all over the board. It's not like a game where uh, you get good at doing one thing and you just do it over and over and over again. It's always throwing something new at you. The game is designed so as the as the game progresses, like new monsters spawn, um, new things happen. There's more that you have to respond to. It is kind of you know much more along the lines of like how a video game would work in terms of you know throwing new uh, ideas at you, new uh, mechanics to the game, things like that as you play it. Um, You know it's it's a very rewarding game. It's a lot of fun. And, and it feels, yeah, like, like you're really accomplishing something, especially because of how difficult and compelling it is. You know, it, it feels like, yeah, you're in a Lovecraft story.
0: And who doesn't love a good, psychotic, mind-altering
1: Lovecraft story? Right.
0: All right, how many bones?
1: Uh, so I'm going to give it eight bones. Um, I really, really love this game, but I do acknowledge that it's not perfect uh you know it definitely inherently isn't a game that that is for everybody well that leaves just one game on our list
0: and i really think this is the true game of all games Nathaniel. (laughs) yes um the last game on our list is kind of the quintessential horror board game in my opinion um it's betrayal on haunted hill um this game is deeply loved i can't say enough good about this game uh, the overall kind of theme of Betrayal on Haunted Hill. Betrayal, is... at, the hu- betrayal oh my gosh. at the house on Haunted Hill. I was two seconds from saying I always get this name wrong. I always do. I cannot say it right. So thank you, Nathaniel, for reading my mind. I'm blaming Cthulhu and Azoth. Azathoth? Azathoth, oh my gosh. Ha! <laughs> All right, so Nathaniel's going to continue the episode without Max, as I go repent to the eldritch ones. Um, All right, so this board game, the overarching theme is you're all kind of joining together in a cooperative sense to investigate this dilapidated haunted house. Everyone picks a character that is kind of pre-designed from the game. I always like to be the crazy old doctor. And when Nathaniel and I play, we make you develop a backstory for your character, because that's how we play. Um, and then every turn, you take your movement, and you're kind of exploring this haunted house. And the cool thing is, the rooms of the house are on individual tiles. So every time you play this game, it is different. You might have a different main floor, or an attic, there's a basement. There are even some expansions that let you go to the roof of the house, it's just really, I don't know, that aspect of it to me is just fascinating. That every time you play it, the house is going to be just a little bit different. If not radically different. Exactly. And each character is going to have a set of stats. You have like might and speed, wisdom and intelligence, I believe. Kind of uh, sanity and sanity, uh, intelligence. Very similar to D&D. And everyone's, again, exploring this house, working together, being friendly. And then all of the sudden, there are these events called omens that will happen in the game. And once you roll below a certain number, and it's much more nuanced than that, but I'm going to keep it brief for our listeners, um, the betrayal happens in the game. And based in the room you're in, the items that are in play, how many omens you have, you have this book of 50 different scenarios that can occur.
1: Or uh, uh, 101 if you were playing with the expansion. You took the words
0: out of my mouth,
1: which just blows my mind.
0: And these scenarios all of a sudden create one person against everyone else, or this new board game threat develops, or the house just burns down, or all manner of horror moments come to life. And the party splits. One person leaves the room to read what they have to do to win. Everyone else reads what they have to do to win. You come back together and all of a sudden it's an us-v-them situation. And it's so damn brilliant! The first time I played this game, I, I was the betrayer. And I had to summon a horde of demons into the haunted house. And if the game hadn't won me by then, summoning a horde of demons (laughs) surely was the killer. This game has a special spot in my my heart. I have played it so many times with so many different groups of friends. It's a little overwhelming to learn, but once you start picking it up, it really is easy. Usually I tell people when I play it with them, we're going to play two rounds. The first round is to kind of get the mechanics... And then once we start that second round, it is so much better. What about you, Nathaniel? What do you love about this game?
1: Literally everything. It's my favorite board game. I I honestly think it is the funnest, most rewarding board game that has ever been made. I agree. Hands down. Yeah, just because every time you play it, it's a totally unique experience. You know, even if you end up getting the same haunt uh, multiple times while playing it, the house is going to be different because, yeah, as you're exploring, you flip over the room tiles, it's going to be different. And so, you know, every single time I, I come to this game, I do not know what to expect. It's the the game mechanics are seamless. Like once you learn how to play the game, once you get the, a feel for it, you, it, every every choice that they made in terms of how they designed it is brilliant. You know, the the way that the combat works, the way that. Uh, You know, investigating mysteries works, all of that. Like, it uses dice, it uses numbers, and you're able to quickly pick it up.
0: And and for me, I I think it was... I I started playing Dungeons & Dragons last year in the pandemic, and I am obsessed with it. I love it. And I think this game in particular takes what is best about Dungeons & Dragons and turns it on its head and kind of gives it a horror kind of flavor to it. And I don't know if that's why I love it so much, but like you say, the the game is almost flawless. Um, the scenarios are so unique.
1: I, and well-written.
0: I, yeah, I played one about voodoo dolls, and the villain was trying to turn everyone into a voodoo doll, and they had to go destroy all of these fetishes throughout the building, and... I played another one that was about aliens and they were abducting all of the survivors and you had to go to certain rooms. Like, every time you play it, it will be something different. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's like having 101 board games in one board game. It's so good. If you have not played this game and you love board games, finish this podcast, give us a rating on Spotify and iTunes, then go find the game and play it. Because... I just can't say enough about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I love it because yeah, it brings in every kind of horror. Yeah, like you said, there's aliens, there's ghosts, there's banshees, there's rats, there's Lovecraftian monstrosities, there's serial killers. You name it, they have a scenario for it. Some of them are just plain ridiculous, other ones are very serious and very intense. And and the great thing is, yeah, you can play with the same group of people many times and it's going to be different. You can play with different people. It's going to be fun no matter who 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 you're bringing to the table. It's really just about as perfect of a, or as a game could possibly be. Especially for a game that is this easy to pick up. Like, it seems complicated. People freak out when you pull out the, bo- the box and they go, oh, oh, this seems like this might be too much for me. And you're like, give me ten minutes. Ten minutes. And you will figure out how to play this game. And it will make sense to you, and you will f- have fun. And every single time, people will go, that game was really good i'm like yeah yeah this is a game that i i can always play anytime Agreed. and people will actually play it with me because yeah a, a single session of it also doesn't take four hours i mean you know i would say typically when i play it it takes between 40 and 80 minutes
0: um i would even go less i've played sessions that were 20 30 minutes it really all depends on when the betrayal happens this is This is also the game when anyone asks me, Hey, Max, you really like board games. Do you want to bring a few over? Hands down, this is the game I always bring. Because it is so good. And and talking about it, I'm really stretching to try and find maybe any sort of a con. Uh, The only one that comes to mind is, again, it is a little bit more advanced. If you're not a huge kind of RPG story playing type of a board gamer, if you prefer card games... Um, or kind of the classics like Monopoly or Life. this might take a a bit to fully understand. But other than that, go play this game. Do it.
1: Yes. Do it. Yeah, what what do you want to give it in terms of bones? Um, I could give it like a 9.5. I'm going to give it like 37 so that (laughs) balances it out because good heaven, this game is so freaking good. It's amazing.
0: So yeah, that's kind of the six... Overarching board games we wanted to talk about today as our listeners, if you enjoyed this discussion and you want more of these types of episodes, we'd love to hear from you because Nathaniel and I both love board games a little too much, so please reach out to us and and give us some recommendations We, we don't know them all
1: yeah, and give us a, me an excuse to go buy more board games without my <laughs> wife murdering me.
0: There you go! I have a note saying like overall out of the six, which ones our favorite and I'm pretty. Like, do we even need to discuss that?
1: (laughs) No, it's clearly Betrayal. Um, I I, I did want to give a shout-out to a game that is closely related to Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. I mean, if you're listening to our podcast, obviously Betrayal at House on the Hill is going to be the the way to go, but if you also really like Dungeons & Dragons, they made a Dungeons & Dragons version of Betrayal. It's... You know, it has the same mechanics. They add a couple new mechanics, like having each uh, player or each character have, you know, kind of their own unique ability. But otherwise, it is a Dungeons and Dragons-themed version of this game. And so, yeah, it has 50 scenarios. It You know, you're exploring, um, you know, in this case, you know, like catacombs and stuff like that instead of just uh, a house. But it is also you know, generally uh, much more darker in the themes. And so it's not just like, oh, hey, it's just like fun, whimsical d d adventures. They tend to be more kind of horror-adjacent adventures as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, another uh, great game that, you know, especially if you've played Betrayal to death, it's a good way to, to, you know, play the same kind of mechanics, but, you know, with a little bit of a fantasy twist. So also worth people's time.
0: All right, well, I think that concludes our board game discussion. Nathaniel, do you want to try a different game with me, and I'm ready
1: to win? Uh, yes, uh, so since we're talking games, I figured it was only appropriate that I bring in another uh, entry to our B-Real game, if anyone is unfamiliar with this. Basically, I'm going to read off uh, the names and descriptions and, and some uh, information about uh, three different B-movies. Two of them are absolutely real, and one of them I made up to try to see uh, if Max can correctly guess which one is false. He and has a pretty good record. I was uh, he, just going to say that. Like, give credit where credit is due. <laughs> he, he has correctly identified the fake movie three out of four times, so let's see if I can uh, really maybe deliver some, some interesting stuff. Maybe actually trick you again. Fingers crossed. Let's do it. Alright, so our first entry, uh, coming to us from the uh, long, distant era of 1964, is Wrestling Women vs. the Aztec Mummy. Oh, good lord. That's how we're starting?
0: This is how we're starting?
1: Oh, by the way, the theme this time is Maneater. God. If you've ever longed for a movie about wrestling women who take on various monsters, this is it. Oh, good.
0: I was just thinking about that. This afternoon, I'm glad there's one out there.
1: There is Zochidle, a female mummy, and her lover Tezomek, who is also a mummy, and he could turn into a snake or a bat, which is difficult to get half Nelsons on. Loretta and the Golden Ruby join forces to battle the evil Prince Ujiyada and his Oriental female judo wrestlers. The mummy Tezomek is male and on the good side of the struggle, or at least he fights the bad guys. That was the description. Oh, God. The overall score on IMDb is 4.1 out of 10. And uh, the user review I found gave it a 3 out of 10 and described it as a miasmal masterpiece marred by misapplied musical melange. Okay. Next up is Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers from 1988. A detective embarks on a mission to track down a woman in L.A.'s seedy nightclubs only to come face-to-face with a bloodthirsty cult of lethally beautiful prostitutes. Is he the next victim of Hollywood's demented chainsaw hookers? Overall score, 5.3 out of 10. And the user review gave it a 10 out of 10. Oh, no. It ain't driving Miss Daisy, but hey, it's all good. With cheesy B-movies, I usually stray away from rating them for tech stuff simply because it's silly, they probably look or they probably put as much into this movie as I pay for half the utilities uh, uh, each month. But what I do look at is sheer entertainment factor, and I feel I've gotten my money's worth with quite a few Z-grade schlockfests. And our final film this uh, B-Rail game is She Kills 100 Men Before Dawn from 1973. Dawn... A down-on-her-luck waitress who is considering a life of prostitution has an especially bad night when the all-night diner at which she works, when a bossy pimp slaps her when she messes up his order. What follows is Don's vengeance, with poison, blades, and most of all, blood. Overall score, 4.9 out of 10. And the uh, user review gives it a 6 out of 10. And says, she kills a hundred men, doesn't deliver the number of bodies that you hope for. But she still manages to del- uh, deliver the same amount of blood from the dozen or so victims that the heroine turn killer murders over the course of the film. Alright, so, is our fake film The Wrestling Women vs. the Aztec Mummy? Text- or Sorry, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Or, she kills a hundred men before dawn.
0: I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um Oh my lord. Um, okay, so Okay, so I'm pretty sure it's not the second one, because that sounds something that would fully get Hollywood endorsement. So I think it's either Aztec ladies versus the woman who killed a hundred men.
1: Yeah, is it wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy? Or she kills a hundred men before dawn.
0: Okay, I am gonna say that the Aztec one just sounds so far fetched that I would actually believe it exists. So I'm gonna guess the third one. She who kills a hundred men before dawn.
1: You are correct.
0: Oh, yes! mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You need to make them a little bit more wild. That's what's, I think, making it easy for me.
1: I, I tried. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Fun f- fact about Wrestling Women vs. the Aztec Mummy. It's apparently uh, the second film in a six-film series oh, from Mexico. Of course it is. Uh, how have you been staying spooky lately?
0: Um, Two things kind of come to mind. I got a beautiful edition of The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Um, This book was probably my first encounter with horror literature i was in the sixth grade when i first read this book and i vividly remember my sixth grade teacher her name was mrs hatch she came up to me i was reading this book and she's like wow your parents let you read clive barker they didn't know i was reading clive barker and the thief of always is very different from the rest of clive barker's materials but i love i love clive barker i think he is a horror icon especially for the queer community. And The Thief of Always has always had a very special spot in my heart. It's a very easy read, very kind of adolescent, but it just makes me smile when I read it because I love it so much. Um, Segway, though, to an actual horror. Well, this is horror. I watched a movie called Anything for Jackson a few weeks ago, and Nathaniel, I think we have a contender for best film of 2021. Um, It was original... It was terrifying. There were a ton of practical effects that we love. Um, we will be doing an episode about this movie very soon because I was blown away by how, how good it was. It's not perfect, and I don't want to spoil too much because it's, it's like Hereditary and Midsummer and St. Maude where the less you know, the better. Um, but it is on Amazon for, I think, $3 to rent. It's kind of an indie film. Definitely check it
1: out. Yeah, it's it's been on my list for a while, so I'll definitely check that one out very soon. Well, I've been staying spooky lately, mostly just by reading a lot of horror uh, literature lately. Like, I just picked up uh, one called The Ruins, uh, which is, you know, I guess was adapted into a film with the same name. I actually haven't seen it's it. It's terrible. Yeah. Hot garbage. Do not watch it. Okay, good to know. Well, I've heard good, nothing but good about this book, though. So I've just... Barely starting that one, but I just finished one that is uh, actually not out yet. I I got my hands on an advanced reader copy. The the book is called My Heart is a Chainsaw uh, by Stephen Graham Jones, uh, who is kind of a hot name in uh, the horror uh, literary world these days. He also wrote uh, The Only Good Indians, uh, which was a, a big, fuzzy horror book last year. Yeah, so uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw is basically a horror novel about a girl who is obsessed with like slasher movies who believes that uh, her small um, Idaho town is about to go full-blown slasher uh, real, real soon. And so she's trying to prevent it from happening. It's very much a, a book written for horror fans. Like, there's a lot of references to horror movies and stuff like that. And, like, a lot of them are kind of more mainstream, but there are some kind of more deeper cuts that I think, you know, if you're not a horror fan, you won't appreciate or have any idea what she's talking about. Um, I, I like the story overall. I will say the writing style is not necessarily the my my thing. It's It's written in a way that's kind of I don't know I I have a hard time focusing on what's happening because it's very kind of jumpy like it just kind of jumps from thought to thought it has a a certain level of like stream of consciousness sort of feel to it but as a whole it was a solid story Uh, I really dug uh, dug it overall and Stephen Graham Jones is a big name in horror so yeah that was uh, what I read recently and you know, just, just, yeah, I've been in the mood for some horror li- lately, and it's been a lot of fun. Well, I
0: think that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, we just want to thank everyone for sticking with us. We know our, our episodes have been a little sporadic. Thank you again for being patient. We will be getting back on a good recording schedule. And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more, Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at Scream Kings Podcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash ScreamKings.
1: Stay spooky.